Hello, and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games, typically Paizo products such as Pathfinder and Starfinder, but also others. I'm John Godek, and with me today is Esther Wallace. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to connect with another uh, actual play person and somebody who's uh, into the gaming universe with Paizo and whatnot. So um, Esther is a game master for Chrome Mythica, uh, Pathfinder 2E actual play. She was also featured last year on Paizo's community blog for International Day of People with Disabilities. And just this month, she is releasing Front Porch, a world-building game about gossip. You can find Esther on Twitter at Dungeon Minister and at uh, Chrome Mythica. Is it Chrome Mythica? Chrome Mythica, yeah. Chrome Mythica on Twitter and on YouTube. Now, uh, Esther, can you talk a little bit about your actual play, Chrome Mythica, and how you got started in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to start by saying we describe ourselves as an actual play about belonging, community, and making meaning out of complex situations. Mm -hmm. And our Genesis story is kind of interesting. So we're a group of friends who know each other from various seasons of life. And around the time that I began to think about um, GMing this actual play, I was in seminary um, studying what I like to call meaning making and how people come together and tell stories and draw meaning from that. And so we we got into like a lot of these deep like archetypal ideas about the world and morality and good and evil and people's role in all that. And at the time I was like, wow, that's such a tabletop thing. And <laughs> yeah. I also studied a uh, ritual and mm -hmm. I was like, ritual is also a tabletop thing. And it would just be really cool to kind of bring some of that knowledge in and tell a story with my friends that we all want to tell. Um, so the, the other dimension to that is we are all people who would be described sometimes as from marginalized communities. And I think when you're a person from a marginalized community, um, there's this sense that our stories don't often get told in the ways that we would like to portray them. And we all have this desire to tell the stories we want to encounter in the world. So we came together and thought, like, what themes do we want to explore? What kind of stories do we want to tell? And decided we wanted to tell a story through the medium of actual play. So that's kind of the, the genesis of Chromithica. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, um, you know, as a basis for a campaign, you know, so this focus on belonging community and, and making meaning and whatnot, that's a lot different than a, you know, kind of a traditional campaign or running an adventure path like, like we do in our actual play. Kind of what are some of the challenges that you face um, doing that compared to running just kind of a straight by the book kind of campaign. Definitely, definitely. Well, I, I describe us as semi-homebrewed in that we mm -hmm. use elements of lore from Galarian. Our story is set in mm -hmm. Galarian, but we also change some things up pretty significantly, and it's mm -hmm. a fairly original storyline. So I think just the uh, keeping track of the story and kind of like uh, making plot up is <laughs> always a bit of a, a lot to hold in and of itself. Um, right, right. But there's also like paying attention to those elements of story of theme, like 
what are we doing in the story right now that's really like getting these themes of justice or uh, mm -hmm. telling a story about a marginalized identity and really kind of bringing that forward. And I think there there's a little bit more care placed on right. those elements than maybe in a traditional campaign setting. Um, I think another element is that we tend to be a little bit more focused on social interactions. Mm -hmm. We are not an AP that has combat every episode, though we do have combat. Yeah. So adapting like skill challenges and skill checks to be a bit more of a, a central focus of the campaign is also an element that we've brought in and I've really had to work with and kind of challenge myself to figure out creative ways of doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and so in terms of the adventure itself. So is this a homebrew that you've created yourself or one of your players has kind of built this world or is this something you do collectively? I would say a little bit of all of that. Um, I I got inspired and I tell this story uh, pretty publicly so my players won't be surprised. Mm -hmm. I was reading through the lore of uh, Cheliax and mm -hmm. was so inspired by the gnome city of Brasselwark mm -hmm. and the idea of the bleaching. And I'm sure we'll talk about disability a little bit later, but mm -hmm. I'm disabled. And the bleaching to me is like such an interesting disability storyline. Um, but I was also taken with the dragon Athervox who lives in the Whisperwood and has had her research, her father's research materials stolen by House Thrun. And the lore says something like, and she sits there plotting her revenge. Mm -hmm. And I was so taken by this image of a dragon astronomer that I just started spinning stuff out from there. And then I would talk to my players about like, well, what character do you want to play? I'm really interested in doing something with dragons and gnomes, which is kind of weird, <laughs> but like, let's yeah. see what we can make work. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it was like organic and we, we've all wound up um, putting little bits of this story in and then weaving it together, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a cool process. No, no, that, that sounds really, really, really neat. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you, um, we're in seminary, and I hear you just recently uh, earned your master's in divinity. Is that right? I did. Yeah. I did, yeah, from Star King School for the Ministry in Oakland, California. Nice, nice. So how does um, being a, having an MDiv like that kind of enhance your GMing and actual play, you know, when you're doing things? Great question. One of the first things I always say is if you can preach a sermon, you can GM. <laughs> and yeah. if you can GM, you can preach a sermon. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the element of um, theatricality and being mm -hmm. in front of people and mm -hmm. kind of crafting this, this narrative that invites people in and takes mm -hmm. them along is really a commonality. Um, the other thing I'm a huge geek about is this element of ritual and how mm -hmm. um, religious services and rituals and tabletop can have really similar rhythms, hmm. like the invitation in, um, dice rolling, um, even like something like a catchphrase before a, a battle um, that gets <laughs> sort of said like an incantation. Yeah. Yeah, All yeah. of these rhythms are really similar. So just inviting folks into that kind of like liminal space of storytelling is something I think both do and it has really fed my my love of both kinds of spaces. No, that's that's cool. I I had heard about sermons that people pay attention for about 7 minutes and then if you don't have them they're gone. They're zoning the rest of the time. Um and and so I and I think about that cuz I I teach. So I'm a university professor. And so I think man, I got to get them hooked early on 
Otherwise, they're just done the rest of the time. Um, yeah, no, that's I, I think that's a really cool uh, connection there. There are a lot of folks that you know that I interview that are very, very hesitant to be on camera, to be out front. And I think somebody who is uh, running an actual play, obviously, you have to be used to that. But also, I think you know, going through seminary and where you're, I assume you're doing practices, giving sermons and things that you, if you're not comfortable being out in front of everybody else, you, you get that way by the end. So, you know, definitely, I think that that relationship as well, just being comfortable talking and being in the forefront rather than like, you know, a lot of folks and myself included before I became a teacher, I was happy to sit in the back row and kind of, kind of watch things happen, you know? Yeah, I definitely relate. And I'm at a place now where I love both preaching and GMing. But I will say before both, even if I'm really comfortable, there's always that little nerves in my stomach right before I start. And then it begins and everything usually goes fine. Mm -hmm. But it's that moment of like, ooh, am I going to have them? Am I going to get this? Like, are we going to be all together in this thing? And yeah, it's it's a very uh, point of commonality, I would say. I usually think, oh, did I forget something? Like, you know, with this interview or, you know, when we're running our actual play or if I'm GMing, I'm GMing a con this weekend. It's like, did I forget something? Am I not prepared? So for me, I have to like over-prepare for stuff. I have, you know, to to make sure I don't I don't, I don't get too nervous. Because even though I've been teaching for over 20 years, I'm still nervous every single time I kind of get started because I'm afraid I, I, I forgot something, you know, so cool. Now, I hear, I read actually, that um, you've recently released or you are releasing your first game called Front Porch, which is a world building game about gossip. And uh, I actually think that's an interesting juxtaposition, you know, giving sermons and going to dealing with gossip. But can you t- tell us a little bit about that game and kind of the genesis for that game? Absolutely. So um, it actually came from a conversation with a really good friend. You know, we're chatting, we're kind of like gossiping a little bit. And both of us got onto this topic of like, is gossip inherently a bad thing? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. we're both from the South where I know at least my grandma and my aunts would sit on the front porch in rocking chairs, gossiping about everything from the weather to the churches to the people at the corner store. And it wasn't always necessarily something mean. In fact, a lot of the time it was just a flow of information or ways of complimenting someone. And so it came from these conversations about like, what role does gossip serve in our lives and what does it do? And I I started chasing that idea and thinking about how often the ways we talk about others and situations and institutions can wind up like shaping narratives and shaping people's lives or the lives of institutions. And so the game came from that, thinking about how gossip can help create and build a world. And then I was like, well, let's let's really go with that. Let's invite people to literally create the atmosphere of a world around them through gossiping. So that's that's what the game is about. Um, super excited to release it. I hope people enjoy it. Um, I enjoy it. My friends have enjoyed it, or at least they've told me they have. So I trust them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. And and where you're releasing this through? Is it through uh, Drive Through RPG or another outlet? Um, itch actually itch.io. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I look forward to, I'm, I'm always interested in different game mechanics. And so this sounds like a very interesting game mechanic where 
I, I, the whole your reality of the world is built around the gossip that you're engaging in. Is that is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So there's about five rounds in each game and um, a series of turns in every round. Mm -hmm. And the mechanics are actually based around sharing gossip, recalling memories, telling someone news, or asking questions about something that's been shared. And mm -hmm. there's uh, a couple of things you use dice for, but mostly it's kind of like a prompt-based, um, more, more social game. Mm-hmm. And when you're engaging this, is this actual gossip or is this uh, inherent to the particular world, I guess? Um, the way I've written it is inherent to the particular world. Okay. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> questions about like, where where are you situated? Is it in our world? Is it on a space station in another okay. world? Um, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. If people want to use it to actually gossip, can't yeah. stop them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just thinking, you know, that that could have some interesting consequences. So, <laughs> wow. It could. Yeah. So um, you mentioned and, that. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I do want to clarify that in the beginning, um, I talk a lot about safety tools and okay. ways to make Great. agreements around the kind of gossip that yes. might happen in the game. It's not something that I want someone to engage in, in in a hurtful way at all. So there's some stuff about that in the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, that. That makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I think that's something hopefully more game masters are doing that regardless of the nature of their game. Um, you know, our actual play, you know, we, we use the X card mechanism for that. Um, it's kind of built into Roll20 for us, so it's kind of it makes it convenient to do that. But even in person games, you know, having some way for, for doing that, I think is important. So you mentioned that the genesis for uh, Chromythica, um, kind of the 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 nature of your particular group. You mentioned your own uh, disabilities. And then last year, you wrote a, a fairly uh, detailed uh, listing in the uh, community blog for Paizo a, a year ago this month about um, disabilities and kind of the, the work that you're doing uh, actively kind of building community for disabled players. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the types of resources that are available and kind of how the community can be more accommodating. Um, I'm somebody who's, I'm actually a disabled veteran, and I have several chronic diseases, which I talk about quite a bit, different places. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm really thankful for this type of work. And I'm also, I haven't heard a lot about it. So I'm kind of curious about learning more. Love this question. Thank you so much for asking. One of the first things that comes to me is how many disabled people or people with chronic illnesses are in tabletop spaces and how often it's just not talked about or not known. So when one person kind of comes out and says, oh, I'm disabled, um, there can be this chorus of, oh, me too. Oh, I'm so right, glad right, we're right. talking about this. So as far as resources go, um, an excellent resource that I recommend is the Accessibility in Gaming Resource Guide by Jennifer Kretschmer, who is a disabled woman who has done so much for the disability community in tabletop spaces. And her at sign is at DreamWisp on all social media. Okay. Um, I really recommend checking that out. It's a huge guide from everything from how to play a disabled character respectfully to dice that are color-coded um, mm -hmm. that might help people distinguish things more to um, resources for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Just a giant, giant um, compendium of most of what's out there right now. So 
highly recommend that as a resource. Another thing I would reflect on is we were we were talking about safety tools. Mm-hmm. I actually think safety tools are an accessibility resource mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. so many ways. Um, and something that I would kind of add into the safety conversations is asking folks at your table about accessibility needs, bringing mm-hmm. it up as a topic and saying, you know, how are we all? Um, doesn't just have to be for disabled people, but just like, what are we... What's going to make our bodies most comfortable at this table or at this virtual table? How often do we need to take a break? Um, mm-hmm. What do, do we need to like have a, a welcoming policy about having something to fidget with um, or being able to look at phones as actually a method of being able to stay present and keep playing the game? Mm-hmm. I think all of those conversations, just opening a space and then being responsive to answers from both players and GMs is absolutely huge in creating more space for disabled people. No, I, I, you know, I actually think that's, it's not something I've thought about. And now looking back at the various players I've, I've worked with and actually my own circumstances, um, you know, I had a kidney transplant a couple of years ago prior to that, uh, because that what was going on with my kidneys, I had to take a lot of breaks to go to the restroom. And, uh, I was always embarrassed about it at conventions because it's like, oh, I need to go. I need to go. And it's like every like 30 minutes, I was having to get up and go. And I thought, oh, man, you know, if somebody had been a little bit more opening, I wouldn't have worried about it so much. Um, yes. Wow. No, that's I think that's that is definitely, you know, I'm going to be thinking about that, especially for this this con coming up, because I I have already had somebody approach me about breaks because of some reasons related to this. So, wow. Thank you so much for for discussing that and sharing those resources. Um, oh, thank you. You know, as someone myself who's been running an actual play for a while, I'm always curious about the process for production and recording, the equipment and things that other people use. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, Chromithica and kind of the process and things that you guys uh, use for that? I can. And actually, I'm a bit of a technological granny. My spouse <laughs> works in tech. and Okay. <laughs> And they uh, were very kind in giving me all of our specs. So I have my phone and I'm going to read it out. Okay. So we use Zoom and OBS to record from multiple locations around the world. Mm -hmm. Each member of our team has a microphone and Zoom on their own computer. And most of us have ATR 2100X mics. That's what I'm on right now. Right. Yep. I saw that. We have a separate desktop that's a Windows 10 PC. It has a really good graphics card and processor, and it records through Zoom and OBS um, just locally while we're on uh, our individual computers, mostly Macs. Um, So that's our recording setup. And then after, I usually do the editing in software called Descript. And it's, um, yeah, it's an audio editor that also transcribes text. And nice. one of the things we really wanted to do was provide captions and transcripts. So mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to edit audio and video natively in that software and get a transcript along with it. Wow. And who makes Descript? I'm not familiar with that. And it actually sounds something like I need to look into. <laughs> they're, they're a startup. Um, so wow. it's just Descript.com. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And one of the things I've looked into using Zoom before, I don't know how to get it to record separate tracks for each person, audio. And um, I think if you have to have the pro version and there's some setting in there that 
And I think it might be one, I don't have a pro version of it. So it's probably why I can't do that. So we do have a pro version and I will yeah. say it, it, it does cost money and that's, yeah. um, that's a downside. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good. And, and that's been pretty bulletproof for y'all or have you had any glitches with that or drops out or it's been pretty, pretty solid? Zoom has been really great. Any okay. drops are on our own internet. And actually, mm -hmm. it's really saved us a couple of times because we have had a couple OBS glitches. Right. And having the separate track Zoom audio and right. all of our video recorded has been great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So you record it as you're doing it. And then you can also go to the individual tracks later and build that if you need to. Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Nice. Yeah, I so like right now we're using Zencaster. I actually will go back and record this again in um I use OBS then to do the final processing. I it didn't even occur to me I could be recording with OBS now. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm going to have to think Th about isn't that. Isn't it great? Yes, yes. Yeah. See, I've learned yeah. something really valuable <laughs> after Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, uh, so Esther, you know, you've uh, run an actual play here and you've uh, produced your first game. What's some advice you have for people interested in getting into game development or getting into running actual plays? Game development. I'll do game development first. Um, and this is as someone who's a fledgling game designer. Ask me in three years and I hope I'll have a different, more nuanced answer. Mm -hmm. I would say... Play a lot of different systems mm -hmm. and notice what you really like, what you really resonate with. And then think, you know, if you have an idea about a game you want to build or a theme, how to combine those elements and then maybe expand upon them. Or think about things that you'd really like to change about systems that you enjoy and think about how you might incorporate those kind of changes into your own design. That's been really helpful for me as I begin this process. I'm very curious what my answer will grow into as I keep designing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. As far as getting into the world of actual play, I think a question that's been really useful to ask myself is, what story do we want to tell and why? Um, why this? Why now? And sometimes the answer might be we just want to have fun as a group of friends and put that out into the world and see who enjoys it. Um, and sometimes the answer might be we actually have something kind of serious to say while we have fun and we want to put that into the world and hope people enjoy it. Um, so I guess just why now? Why this? Uh, what do we want to accomplish through it? And then my biggest like technical pieces of advice, do many dress rehearsals with equipment <laughs> yes. and recording yeah. before you start. There will always be a glow up, but knowing what I know now, mm -hmm. like our first episode sounds so rough compared to where we are now in the process. Right. So right, right. Um, give yourself room to grow, but also dress rehearsals um, and give yourself some production time, especially if you are a GM and producer with a disability. I say mm -hmm. Chromithica operates on disability time and we, for that reason, don't release every week. So mm -hmm. it can be really helpful to like have a bank of produced episodes and right. then have a regular release schedule if that's what you're going for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that's, that's awesome advice. It's, you know, both the the early production differences, um, you know, I saw on your uh, on your site that you have a link to uh, um, edited audio or improved audio for your your mm -hmm. first episode, and I and I and and it's the same for us. It's like 
when I first produced mine, I actually went back and reproduced it later once I learned more. But it, there's still so many, so many things you just can't do, you know, that you've, you've learned along the way. Um, but uh, yeah, and then having the banked episodes early on, we were we were releasing every week and there was a real crunch to, to do things. And when we went to No Direction, they requested a every other week uh, release schedule, which actually helped us a lot. And we now have we have over 20 banked episodes. I think we have 25 banked episodes because of that. And so it's um, it, for us, I go over the holidays. You know, if we want to take time off. It's fine. We have, you know, we have plenty of episodes to draw from with our schedule. So we're great. So Esther, what's next uh, for you? What cool things are you working on? So in addition to Front Porch, I am designing a couple other games on the back burner. And one of them that I'm toying with right now is called Anchorite, which is about the experience of being a uh, closeted sort of hermit in a uh, religious congregation somewhere based off of anchorites in like the 12th century and what one's life might be like and what one's divine revelations might be like. It blends a lot of my interests. Mm -hmm. Um, Sounds like it. I... Yeah, I hope to keep producing Chromithica, and it's my dream in the next year to produce an AP that has an all-disabled cast. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hopefully that's where I'm headed next. Wow. So when you say produce an AP, do you mean write an adventure or do an actual play? I, I don't. So AP can mean a couple different things. Oh, I'd love to do both. But okay. in this <laughs> instance, uh, produce an actual play okay. um, with a cast and, and yeah, story. Oh, well, well, think of me when you're doing that. I'd be very interested. I will. So, <laughs> all right, Esther, this has been a real pleasure getting a chance to meet with you and, and get to know you better. Thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful.